0: Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome to Michael and us. Luke here with something that we haven't done before, but which I think uh, is warranted in light of recent events. This will be a feature length interview episode uh, related to the evolving situation in Palestine and Israel. Uh, We obviously haven't done anything quite like this before. Uh, But given everything that's been going on, this did feel like an occasion for a straightforwardly uh, politically concerned episode rather than something where we just riff on a movie, though, rest assured, uh, there's plenty more of that to come. So we'll turn to my interview soon, but since this is uh, you know, officially an episode and I currently have the floor, uh, I did just want to add a few words to what I said on last week's episode. I feel, uh, as I'm sure many of you do, continue to feel a profound sense of moral outrage and also shame about what's currently going on in the world. I completely understand and share the horror elicited by the attacks of October the 7th, but I am just incredibly perplexed at the moral calculus that has been taken up by our governments and by elite pundits since uh, throughout North America and Europe, including my own. A moral calculus that is blissfully serene, it seems, at the idea of cutting off food and water to more than 2 million stateless refugees, nearly half of them children under the age of 18. Um, and subjecting one of the most densely populated regions of the world to bogus evacuation orders, all of it amid ceaseless aerial bombardment. Then again, uh, the rules-based international order, quote-unquote, that we've heard so much about has been just as serene about the plight of the Palestinians in Gaza throughout the past 16 years, uh, a period in which they have been in a very real way uh, cut off from the outside world, surrounded by fences with mounted remote-controlled machine guns, constantly disturbed overhead by the din of drones surveying their every move, uh, and frequently by heavily armed uh, military jets as well. Now, a world order in which Western powers so often claim moral authority and stake out moral legitimacy by invoking their commitments to democracy and human rights that allows or tolerates any of that, uh, let alone what is happening now. And and we should make clear that what's happening now is not, um, you know, this is not merely about allowing or tolerating. The U.S. government in particular is an active participant here, um, and that should not be lost. Um, But that order, that consensus, whatever you want to call it, The politicians who do these things and say these things, many of whom are self-described progressive liberals, do not deserve our support. They do not deserve our deference or our patience. Uh, They deserve, in my opinion, only the harshest moral censure, and they should be judged by the things that they say and do and endorse. The only moral universe to which any of us should want to belong is one in which human lives are afforded equal moral worth, whether they are Palestinian or Jewish or anything else. Uh, And in the coming days, weeks, and months, uh, I think and I I fear that the necessity of asserting this fact uh, loudly and vociferously, that that necessity is only going to grow. I've got no future. I know my day is a few. The present's not that pleasant. Just a lot of things to do. Even
1: when Biden comes back into office and he has the same diplomatic team as the Obama people who were ostensibly pushing for a two state solution late into his term, he's like, well, this is settled. The Trump people kind of uh, used up all any leverage we could have had. They expect total backing. And they don't even attempt to return to a two state solution. Even after. uh, in the background of all of this, Netanyahu becomes incredibly controversial in Israel because he is indicted on pretty blatant um, allegations of corruption and bribery in uh, 2018. And there's an election in 2019. And what happens after this is that Netanyahu is so controversial and so hated that a lot of his traditional allies, like uh, Yavador Lieberman of Israel, Benitu, who who is his deputy prime minister for a number of years, um, uh, Naftali Bennett, who was another coalition partner of him, uh, and some of his former military staff, like Benny Gantz, who starts his own party, um, they start like becoming against him because he's considered very unpopular. They personally dislike him. Um, they see opportunities for themselves for advancement. And at this point, the Labor Party, the left in Israel, is a complete shell of itself. It's like considered to be a total lost cause. So the opposition to Netanyahu takes the form of these centrist center-right parties that basically accept his consensus. They assume, too, that he, he figured the Palestinian issue out, that there isn't any real, like, any purpose of peace negotiations since they're having their cake and eating it, too. So the opposition of Netanyahu, as he's moving the country to the right and the world is accepting his right-wing kind of basis for governance in the country, the opposition moves to the right, too. So it's led by figures like Benny Gantz, who um, announces his campaign in 2019. He's the former IDF chief of staff by like with an ad talking about how he bombed the Palestinians to the stone age. She literally said that in his opening ad, Um, he won't even say that he supports a two state solution. He says he supports a two entity solution. So you have these, like the opposition is totally selling out to get any number of center, right, centrist, right-wing, and not Yahoo voters that they can. And even still they cannot stop it from getting, they can't get a majority for themselves. They hold an election in 2019, there's no majority. They hold another one the same year. No majority. They hold a third one in 2020. Still no majority. They um, there's a brief kind of team up between uh, Benny Gantz and Netanyahu, and a uh, unity government because of COVID. And the idea there is that Gantz is going to be able to be an alternate prime minister after six months. Lo and behold, the deal falls apart before Netanyahu leaves office, which most people assume is because if like if he lost prime ministerial immunity, he'd be in prison. And uh, so that falls apart. They hold a fourth election in 2021. And the opposition there is able to create like they technically have a majority and they're able to create this in- incredibly rickety coalition consisting of basically every single element, political element in the country besides include, including
0: right. including the, uh, you know, the joint list. Right. Including. Yeah. No, 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 I don't think it
1: included the joint list, but it included an Islamist Arab conservative right. party that split from the joint list right so the joint list falls so like the communist party there and the arab parties who are social democratic two-state solution they don't join the government but basically every other element in the country does so you ha- it's led by naftali bennett who is like this american like it like basically an american israeli settler um and supported by all these military officials and centrist politicians arab islamists left-wing like social democrats and socialists it's this like and it's it's called the Adanyahu anti Netanyahu coalition because that's the whole point of it. And this thing lasts for about a year uh, which like is a lot longer than a lot of people expected because this was a ridiculous coalition <laughs> and Netanyahu's uh, the leader of the opposition for like about um, this period. and the main purpose of it is really to keep him because after he gets indicted his main goal at this point is to get rid of the judiciary in the country. It's called a, like, Her- Heretz calls it a judicial coup, like offhandedly, which I think is a little fun, uh, where he's basically trying to get, like, reduce the power of judiciary and make himself immune from prosecution as long as he as he's prime minister so he doesn't go to th- jail. This, th- and and case this, case.
0: this episode was quite interesting to me because it was the first time I'd seen, I mean, this was the first time you saw, you know, you know, the the New York Times op-ed pages being anxious about, you know, something that his uh, government was doing. And I mean, I suppose the reasons for that aren't particularly difficult to understand.
1: Just like kind of a bit like, kind of like, it's all like high level governance. You could say maybe kind of upper class concerns. Uh, But so what happens is that that becomes the polarizing issue. And this is, is a testament to how dominant he is. That opposition coalition falls apart one year into its five-year mandate, and they hold another election in 2022, which was right before the midterms uh, last year in November. And Netanyahu running basically on a don't-send-me-the-jail platform wins his outright majority. Um, it, it's relatively stable. It wasn't like that much of a fluke. He and his partners get 64 seats. You need a 61-seat majority. He clears the threshold with room to spare. So he's able to form what everybody calls, including his own coalition, the most right-wing government in Israeli history. It includes um, these groups that idolize terrorists, these settler groups that get like Idmar um, Ben-Gvir and uh, uh, Beilizel Smotrich, who are these incredibly far-right forces, downright racist, genocidal. Uh, worship these incre- like these figures like from the 1980s, Mayor Kane, They have parties that are based on that ideology that was considered a terrorist group in the 1980s. This is beyond the pale what people even considered possible in the country, but they're in power now.